Several years ago, when I was in seminary, one of the few chapel messages that I got to be present for since I was a commuter student was the uh, then president of the International Mission Board, Tom Elliff, and, and he was giving a sermon that is, is probably what you would expect from the president of the International Mission Board, a very evangelistic focused sermon. And, and in that sermon, he made this statement. He said, he urged us not to forget the, the this is how he said it, the, the power of the simple gospel. And his point was to not get so caught up in everything going on and all this there that we, we, we miss the simple power and reality of the gospel message and thereby forget or cease to proclaim it. And it, it stuck with me in a variety of ways over time because it is easy to forget the simple power of the gospel when we watch things around us seemingly get bleaker and bleaker. Whether it's the decline of what we once saw or thought Christianity was in America, whether it was uh, very personal and familiar to me, the, 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 the younger generations of people who grew up in the church, who leave the church, whether it's seeing church leaders abandon sound doctrine and be discovered as heritage, whatever it may be, there is a tendency as things get bleaker and bleaker, as it seems like there is some suffering and hardship entering into, to go and wonder, is the gospel so powerful? Does the gospel still move? And the answer is an emphatic yes. But the question is real, and Paul deals with that. The Holy Spirit riding through Paul deals with that in our text today. So if you've got your Bibles, we'll be back in Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to pick up in verse 12. Now, church family, we're going to walk through, I'm going to read through 12 through 18 this morning, but we're actually going to take two weeks to walk through this passage because there's two really uh, overarching thoughts that need, uh, need a whole week each to look at. But look with me at verse 12. Remember where we've come from. Paul's writing from house arrest in prison to the church in Philippi, a church that is dear to him because they love him. They are engaged in ministry. He writes them reminding him who they are, servants of God, saints in Christ Jesus, children of God. He reminds them how they got there, grace and peace. He, he, we looked last week at the, the, his prayer, his very personal prayer, that their love would abound. And now he's ready to begin instructing. And look what he says. He says, now I want you to know, brothers, that my circumstances, the things, literally the things that have happened to me, have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. So that in my imprisonment, the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage, boldness. They dare to speak more boldly the word of God without fear. Now some to be sure are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me a distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Here's what 
Paul says. He writes to the Philippian church. Now, we haven't gotten there yet in, in the book of Philippians, but what we will find out is the Philippian church has sent one of their own, Epaphroditus, to Paul, who is under house arrest. And, and at this point, when Paul says, the things that have happened to me, let's be clear on what, what things have happened to Paul. About four years prior to writing this, Paul was on his way back from his third missionary journey. You see this in Acts 20 and Acts 21. And he, he says that the Holy Spirit testifies in his heart that if he goes back to Jerusalem, he will suffer. And along the way, there's multiple people who say the same, but he senses the Lord telling him to go back to Jerusalem. He goes to Jerusalem and there in Acts, uh, in Acts 21, uh, Jews from the area of Asia, from uh, Turkey and, and, and Greece, who, who are infuriated at Paul, have also come down to cause trouble. They find him at the temple. They begin to beat him. The Roman soldiers rescue him from there, and they take him back to the barracks. From there, and in Acts 23, Paul is moved to Caesarea Maritime by the sea, a site you can go to today if you ever travel to the Holy Land. And he will spend two years in prison at Caesarea Maritime. He will stand before Felix and later Festus. He will go before Herod Agrippa, ultimately choosing to invoke his right as a Roman citizen to present his case to Caesar himself, which if he had not invoked that right, he might have actually been released there. But invoking that right means after a two-year prison sentence, he's loaded up on a ship to sail across the Mediterranean. And that ship will have a massive wreck at sea, where he will be floating with drift, on driftwood with the rest of the crew. They will find themselves on Malta. Eventually, they will get rescued. They will go to Rome. And then in Rome, he will spend two years under house arrest, and he is nearing the end of that time. His trial, his, his appeal to Caesar is coming, we'll see in the next couple weeks. So when he says, the things that have happened to me for the last four years, he has been under imprisonment. He has been under chains, he has been beaten, he has been in duress, and the church in Philippi sends Epaphroditus to find out how he's doing. And from what we gather, maybe the church in Philippi, they go, wow, the, the gospel has stopped. Here's Paul, the great Paul, the proclaimer of the gospel. He is in prison, he is in chains. What does this mean for the cause of Christ? Obviously, there was some concern there because Paul is clear. He says, I want you to know that all these things that have happened to me have turned out for the greater progress. My Bible translates it greater, but that word literally means, it's, it's a word to say what you would assume me being under chains would hinder the gospel. On the contrary, it's progressed the gospel. It's moved it forward. That word for progress it's an interesting little word. It's originally a nautical team. It means to, to cut before. And it was the idea of a ship making headway against many blows of the waves. And it, it ultimately came to be used for an army of lumber engineers who would go in front of the army and would chop down all of the trees to open up the space and make a road. The idea is that the progress is moving forward in spite of all hindrances, in spite of all blows, the gospel is progressing greater and greater. And Paul says, how, how, how do I see the gospel progressing? What does that actually look like? Well, he says two things. He says, so that my imprisonment in Christ, my imprisonment in Christ 
My imprisonment, because remember who he says he is, he is a, he is a servant of Christ Jesus. I am, I am bound to Christ. My imprisonment in Christ. I am here because I belong to Christ. His imprisonment for the cause of Christ, the reason he is in chains is because he has stood up for the gospel in the face of opposition. And not only that, but there's a sense in the way that preposition is used, my, my imprisonment in Christ. There is a, a unity, there is a fellowship that is unique when you and I as the people of God, like Paul, share in the sufferings of Christ. He says, it has become clear that my imprisonment in Christ, it's well known. It's well known. It's clear. It's evident. There's no confusion about why I am under this house arrest. And look who he says it's well known. To the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. Now, the Praetorian Guard are the 9,000 elite soldiers who are the trained personal army bodyguard of Caesar. These are the Roman version of the Navy SEALs. And these Praetorian guards, one of them is chained to Paul at all times under the house arrest. And these Praetorian guards understand they, they wield great power. It was the Praetorian guard that assassinated uh, Emperor Caligula when he went crazy. It's the Praetorian guard that put Claudius on the throne. It's the Praetorian guard who even guided some of Nero's own decisions. These powerful soldiers who, who according uh, to Acts chapter 28, if we were to turn to the end of Acts 28, as Paul's under house arrest, what's going on is people have freedom to come in and out of the house. And Paul is sharing and discussing the gospel with them. And, and these soldiers are overhearing these conversations, maybe even engaging in some of the debates because it says that not all who came believed, but some did. So amongst the Praetorian guard, these elite soldiers, and not just them, but, but everyone, Paul throws it wide open. Everybody understands I am not in prison because Caesar is Lord. I am in prison because I follow Jesus Christ the Lord. And here I find myself. Now, just as a side note, how is this expanding the gospel forward? Well, by the end of the letter, one of the things that Paul will write to the church in Philippi is he says, those from the house of Caesar greet you. Well, how do you think people in the household of Caesar heard the gospel? Because the, the normal believer, Christian in the first century, were the poor, the slaves, they were not people who had access to Caesar's household. How did it get there? Likely through the Praetorian guard who would maybe go back and talk, musing what they heard Paul share, going back. All of a sudden, the gospel is progressing to places it might never have gone otherwise because Paul is in prison and everyone is now understanding that Paul is in prison because of Christ. But that's only one way that Paul knows the, the, the gospel is progressing. Look at the second way, verse 14. And that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the gospel without fear. Trusting in the Lord, it's a perfect verb, meaning to have confidence in, to, have, to, de to depend upon completely. It's perfect meaning that at one point they started having confidence and trust in the Lord. That'd be the moment of salvation. And from that point, that trust is continuing. That dependence is growing. The, the brothers and sisters, the church is watching Paul in prison and their faith and dependence and trust and confidence in who Jesus Christ is, is growing. 
And out of that growing confidence and dependence, what is happening is, is the men and women there who are Christians in Rome in the epicenter of all, in the epicenter of, of all the paganism in the empire, in the place of, of a depraved patriotism and, and a worship of the emperor, these brothers and sisters are with greater, with more boldness, literally the word means to dare, to be bold in the face of danger. They are sharing, they are speaking, they are actually talking the gospel message in spite of fear, fearlessly, without fear. The church is growing in confidence and their witness is emboldened because they are seeing Paul's imprisonment for the sake of Christ. And they are speaking the gospel. Now we need to be clear, church family, just, just in light of this, if they're speaking the gospel, I want to be very clear, since we're all new to one another, what is the gospel? Because that's pivotal. Because everything they're doing, everything that's going on, the gospel is progressing. They're being more bold to speak the gospel. What is the gospel? Let me just allow scripture to speak the gospel to you and I today. 1 Corinthians 15 says this. Now I make known to you, brothers, the gospel which I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are saved. And this is what I delivered to you of first importance, what I also received. Here's the gospel message, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, that he appeared to Peter, then to the 12, then, more to, then, then to more than 500 at one time, most of whom are still alive today, though some have, have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, his brother, then all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me. What is the gospel message? It is the, historic, the historical, personal, relational reality that Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, God himself, he came, he lived, he died, and he rose on the third day in accordance with exactly what scripture said. That historical reality, this is the, the message, the story of the gospel. But what does that story accomplish? Well, listen to Titus chapter 3. For you and I were once foolish ourselves. We were disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. We were sinners. That's what he just described. People who were enslaved to sin and self, but when the kindness of our God and Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds, which you and I have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being made right, justified by his grace, we would be heirs according to eternal life. Here's what the gospel message says. If Jesus came, he lived, he died, he rose, what is it that he accomplished? He accomplished the life you and I cannot. He went on that cross and became our sin and received the punishment that you and I, if we were to bear it, would demand all of eternity to pay its sentence. Because you and I are by nature children of wrath, Ephesians 2, we were foolish lovers of self but when the kindness of our Lord and Savior appeared to do what you and I could not do on our behalf and that's the gospel message 
that you and I were made for a relationship with God himself, uniquely, wonderfully, fearfully crafted in his image, but born in sin, out of fellowship. Let's be clear, church family. Nobody is born a Christian. No one. I hear testimonies all the time back, back working with college students. Once you come to know Christ, well, I've always known Christ. False. Nobody can always know Christ because you and I are born out of a side of a relationship with him. But oh, that's the beauty of the gospel message. That though you and I are born outside, our loving, kind, good Savior appeared. That there is a response of repentance and faith that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How does that happen? If you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, what happens? You will be saved. There is a moment of response on each you and I's behalf where we are convicted of our sin, where we are convicted that Jesus is exactly who 1 Corinthians says he is and he did exactly what it says he did. And when we turn to him in faith, looking to him to save us and restore us to God, salvation happens and that is the gospel message. It is the reconciliation of men and women made by God for God. It is their reconciliation to God through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And Paul says this gospel, they're speaking it it's being known, it's going forward, it's progressing, it's not stopping in spite of the circumstances of my imprisonment, in spite of what would seem like a hindrance. It's not a hindrance, it's actually propelling the gospel forward to places it would never have gone otherwise. And Paul says at the end of the passage, he says, and in this I rejoice. There is a joy that fills up in my heart because I see the gospel message moving forward in spite of all the world is seeking to do to crush it. Why? Because the gospel is the power of God to salvation. So church family, the question that's gonna become throughout the next several weeks for us is this, the mission of God, the proclamation of his gospel, the mission of God to proclaim his gospel must be our above all. For for for. Paul, what does he say? He says that in every way Christ is proclaimed. The gospel being proclaimed is Paul's above all. Above all else, my life will be laid down for the proclamation of the gospel. Why? Because if you and I know Jesus, if you and I love Jesus, then we ought to value what is on Jesus' heart. And what is on Jesus' heart is his mission. And how did Jesus value his mission? To seek and save sinners. It says he set his face like a flint. There was an intentionality, there was a focus, there was an all-consuming reality that the gospel was on the forefront of Jesus' heart and mind. So we see it on Paul's and so church family, it must be on ours. Matthew 28, the Great Commission, go therefore and make disciples. I've got news, that wasn't a command only for the twelve nor is it a command for the professional ministers, the pastors and ministerial staff. It is a command and calling and commission binding on my life and your life and our life if we are in Christ. You and I have been called to be disciple makers. 2 Corinthians 5 says that we are ambassadors of the kingdom of God who proclaim the gospel in order to make disciples. It is not optional, church family. 
And notice, it says that, back there, it says that they were speaking the gospel. Absolutely, we live out the gospel indeed, so people see that what we say actually translates over into real tangible life. But people don't get saved by watching. It's what, how does faith come? By hearing and hearing the word of God. So we want to be careful to not misquote an old, uh, an old pastor from the Middle Ages, share the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. Let us not twist that as an excuse to go, well, I share the gospel all the time, but I never open my mouth and tell anybody who Jesus is and what he's done for them. And church family, it's just as binding on me as it is you because this is written to the whole church, including the overseers and deacons. So what do our worries What do our finances, what do our time say about our personal end goal, what what, what we value? What does our prayer life reveal about our heart for the gospel? Can we honestly say in our lives, what then? Only that the gospel is proclaimed. Because if I can't say that personally, if you can't say that personally, then we won't ever be able to say that corporately as First Baptist Church Pflugerville. And I'll just remind us, there's, there's a chance in the community Nine out of every 10 people you run into do not know Jesus Christ. Not only that, but let's not assume that they've ever actually heard the actual real gospel message, even if they know who Jesus is. Because the challenge of our culture and what I would call a post-church culture, where there was some level of cultural Christianity, is that people don't know the gospel. Instead, they know a misunderstood and warped version of the gospel. Nine out of 10 people we run into do not know Christ. And church family, I've got news for you. God has not left us here as First Baptist Church Pflugerville to have a really nice, exclusive Christian country club to wait out the storm till he returns. God has us here. Yes, to love each other. Yes, to take care of each other. Yes, for us to grow deeper in Christ. But you know part of what growing deeper in Christ looks like for you and I that we are partakers of the gospel ministry on mission for God. And God has put us smack dab in the middle of a city of 70,000 people just in Pflugerville. We're less than 10,000 have a relationship with Jesus Christ. He's put us in the middle of a metropolitan area of almost three and a half million people where only about 300,000 might know Christ spread over the entire Austin metropolitan area. There are people from every tongue and tribe who live on our streets. Whom has God called you and I? And here's my question. It's not even, are we sharing? Let's even back up from that. Paul tells us to pray for open doors. Do we even pray that God would open doors for us to share? If we look at our prayer life, are we even praying for God to move? Are we praying for people to be saved? Are we praying for doors to open? Which means, church family, you and I, we're going to have to speak the gospel. We're going to have to articulate the gospel. We're going to have to pray for open doors. We're going to have to pray for people to come to know Christ personally. That God would add to our number, not just with church shoppers, but with new believers who are coming to faith. That, oh, church family, those baptism waters would be rustled weekly. I'll give you a real direct way you can pray. Tonight, our student ministry has fall frenzy. 
where they'll invite peers, where we'll go out to Elgin Christmas Tree Farm, where we will share the gospel and students will have an opportunity to respond. Would you please be in prayer for that? Be in prayer for that today during the invitation. Maybe you come down to the altar and pray over that. Be in prayer for that from from five to nine o'clock tonight as they're coming. Be in prayer. Who knows whose salvation day this could be? I'll give you another one. We've got Harvest Festival in just a week. We've passed out tons of invitations through Deutschenfest. We're gonna share the gospel. Who could hear? Church family, we need to be locked in together praying for God to move because the mission of God to proclaim his gospel, it must be our above all, both as individuals and as a church. And if it's our above all, then it means we will rejoice in its progress no matter our role or glory. Now we'll see this a little bit more next week, so I'm not gonna unpack it fully, but, but church family, does our heart rejoice when we hear someone coming to faith in Christ? Does our heart rejoice? Does it leap in hearing that someone heard the gospel? Does it leap in seeing someone respond to the gospel? Or do we find our heart more excited about the fact that the Astros are going to the World Series? Or that the Longhorns had a weekend off so they didn't blow a fourth quarter lead? Or that the Aggies blew somebody out last night. Our, I mean, I, and I know this well because I've spent so much of my life in Bryan College Station and, and, and it's unfortunate. I love A&M. I love it to death. It's a great place. But there's a lot of believers in Bryan College Station who are far more excited about every time a maroon helmet runs in the end zone than they ever are about a person who comes to faith in Christ or hears the gospel. And church family, we're not exempt. We just go through and pick out what, what are those things. Do, are, we, are we more passionate about whether or not we do a church event the way we've always done it than we are about whether we do something where people can hear the gospel? Are we more passionate about whether our coffee is set up right in the lobby than we are about whether a lost person comes in and hears the gospel? Are we more passionate? This is gonna sound goofy. Are we more passionate about being quiet in the library than we are about a person hearing the gospel? And you say, what on earth does that mean, Wes? I was thinking about this this week. There was a student, a student I went to college with named Yingyi from Thailand. And he was a character, had a lot of charisma, personality, loved to ask questions, a little bit of a jokester. And, and I sat across from him in the library one day and, and, and the head librarian's right here and we were sitting at these computers. He was on this side, I was on this side. We said hello and I don't remember quite what question I asked him, but all of a sudden there was an open door, a wide open door to walk through and share the gospel. Okay, now the head librarian's right here and, and it is a library. We are supposed to be quiet. And I just said, I, you know, I don't care. I'm gonna, so I started sharing the gospel. We had a probably 45 minute conversation. Now during this, one of our professors is over here just a little bit further down. And as our conversation wanes and it's clear that the conversations move forward, he's, he's not ready to respond. We're, we're going to other things. Now we're, maybe we are talking about the Astros or the Rangers. Who knows what we were talking about? The librarian goes, hey guys, you need to be quiet. And the professor came up to me later and one of the things she said is the librarian was watching the whole exchange. But he wasn't about to tell us to be quiet in the library to cost him, Yingy, the opportunity to hear the gospel. I don't know what our library rules are in our lives, but are, are, are there things we rejoice in? Are there things we're more strict about? Are there, are, are there things that we are so wedded to that it would cost us or that it ceases our rejoicing in people hearing the gospel? If so, I got news. You know what the application is today? Let's confess that. Let's confess that there are things in our heart 
that we delight in greater than delighting in the progress of the gospel. But church family, if, if the gospel mission, if the mission of God is our above all, and if we rejoice in it, here is the reality we are going to step into. We are going to step into hardship and suffering. Why? Well, very simply because Jesus said, if the world will hate you because the world hated me. Very simply because if you and I really step in and seek to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, according to Paul, we will be persecuted. He's what he says in 2 Timothy. If we are going to walk in the mission of God, we need to understand that when suffering and hardship creep up, understand well, church family, that does not limit the power of the gospel. In fact, often the gospel not only is not hindered, but it is propelled when God's people willingly submit to the suffering and hardship that comes. The famous phrase is the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. God's mission is not stopped by suffering. I love what Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy as he is in his final imprisonment awaiting his death. And what does he say? He says, I am imprisoned for the sake of Christ. I suffer hardship as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. And instead, what the world sees when it watches you and I place the mission of God above all, rejoicing in it, when it sees us in the midst of suffering and hardship, they see the reality clearly of the gospel. And when I say suffering or hardship, that could be direct persecution. That could be a variety of things. A year ago, I was sitting out as a college pastor looking at how do we do college ministry with everything being shut down in COVID. And you want to know something? In the last year of my time, there in College Station, one of our prayers, we're just praying for God to open doors. The most fruitful evangelistic year by far, not even close, was because of all the hardships that COVID caused on the student body. It opened up more doors for us to be able to share the gospel than I could have ever dreamed. And when I say more doors, I mean numbers in the thousands. And we watched students come to faith in Christ we watch students hear the gospel who had never hear, heard before because church family, God's ways are not ours and he will routinely use these sinful and unjust actions of man to push his plan and his gospel further and further to places we would never have achieved on our own, that we could never have gotten to. And as we commit to the mission of God in the face of hardship, the world watches and sees and the world can't explain when we willingly walk with Jesus in the face of hardship, suffering, annoyances, grieving. But not only does the world see clearly when you and I are willing to walk through the suffering and hardship God allows, it has an impact on each other. You see that in the text, he says, not only is it well known, not only is it going, progressing forward, not only is it undeniable what God is doing, but the church, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, has far more courage to speak. Church family, when you and I step out in truth, when you and I willingly cross that frightful barrier where there's an open door with our coworker and we're just nervous and the hardship is simply, we are uncomfortable and we cross that barrier and we, we, we willingly lay ourselves out to share the gospel. And when we do that, when we see each other do that, do you know what that causes? It causes our, our faith, our confidence, our hope, our trust in the Lord to deepen, to grow. 
And as our trust in the Lord deepens and grows, you wanna know where boldness flows out of? It flows out of unshakable confidence in who Jesus is and what he's called us to do and be. And that trust grows. It's where we encourage one another all the more. It's where we spur one another on. It's why important, it's important that we don't neglect coming together, that we don't neglect seeing each other, that we are willing to be honest and open about the things we suffer for the sake of Christ because in doing so, God will use it to deepen our trust, to deepen, we will be encouraged. That's why when you read stories of martyrs, when you read stories, biographies of faithful men and women, there's something that strengthens us. There's something that says, yes. There's something that goes that, as I see Jesus in their life, I will trust all the more. Church family, what if hardship you and I are facing in life? What if one of the reasons for it is meant to stir up each other? Will we be faithful to walk through it? Will we rejoice in the gospel moving forward? Or as we face hardship, as we see the decaying state of the, of, of the world and the country around us, will we go, ah, there's just no hope. I just, I just wish it was the way it once was. I just wish we were back in the days when, when we had Sunday morning church, Sunday night church, Monday visitation, Tuesday prayer meeting, Wednesday night church, and everybody showed up. I just miss the days when everybody was from. I just miss, listen, I, I'm not trying to knock any of those days at all. But what if, what if God allowing hardship and suffering and decay around us would be the very catalyst to shine the gospel the greatest to a third grade awakening? People may reject the gospel more, but it does not mean the gospel is any less powerful than the day Jesus rose from the grave. The gospel hasn't changed. The power of God to salvation has not changed. So we must be faithful to proclaim it, even if it means submitting to suffering and hardship. And let's just be real clear on this. What we don't mean is when we walk through legitimate suffering and hardship and sorrow, that just because God can use it means we can't hurt and grieve. No, God is big enough that we can hurt and grieve when the suffering and hardship demands hurt and grief. And sometimes it's gonna be our hurting and grieving with the Lord in his presence at his feet, experiencing his peace and comfort and, 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 the, and his tears falling on our neck like, like his did on Mary. Sometimes it's even gonna be in that grief and that willingness to go before the Lord that his gospel shines. You see, in the midst of suffering and hardship, I have the ability to grieve, to hurt, to mourn, and I also have the ability to rejoice that God will take all things and God will use it not only for his good in my life, but to progress his gospel forward. Back when I was in college, one of the biggest tragedies that occurred in our life as a family was at the end of my first semester of college, my uh, grandmother was lived about 20, uh, my grandparents lived about 20 minutes up the road from DBU and my grandmother was uh, murdered at her front door by a hitman who went to the wrong house. And yes, every word of that is what happened. I have watched God take the story of what happened there and I have watched God use it to progress his gospel forward in people's lives. Now that progression forward, it does not change the sorrow that five weeks ago, only three of my grandparents were sitting right there. But in the midst of that sorrow, 
I also have a joy and can rejoice because of the ways that God has taken such a wicked, heinous, and disgusting act and redeemed it for his eternal glory in the hearts of people that have been willing to hear and some even receive the gospel message because of the ways only God can work. So church family, will his mission be our above all? If his mission is our, is our above all, it means there should be a rejoicing that comes from its progress, but understand that its progress may come through the very means of suffering and hardship. And the question before you and I today is simply this. Will we proclaim? The days around us feel dark, and me, we... We may be discouraged by what we see, but may we not be discouraged into thinking God is somehow finished, that the gospel is somehow diminished. May revival occur, occur in our hearts so that we would go out with a renewed boldness and fervency to pray and witness to those that God has placed in our past because the gospel is still powerful for salvation and God would use us, church family, First Baptist Pflugerville, to make a dent in the lostness of this world and in the Austin area. So the question is, what will our response be? Pray with me. Father, what a joy to know. It is easy, Lord, I, I, it's me, I'm preaching to myself this morning. It is easy for me to look out to see how many students that I have shared the gospel with, how many students have heard correctly who they've then just completely walked away. And God, if I allow uh, my focus to stay there, I grow discouraged and, and, and it makes me in that discouragement fearful, even hesitant, perhaps to share the gospel, to still trust. But Father, what a joy to know. It doesn't matter what the world throws. It doesn't matter what way the world twists and moves and we face suffering and hardship as a believer, as a church family. You, your mission, your gospel will not be stopped. Hearts may grow hard, hearts may grow cold, hearts may choose to reject. But for the heart that says, yes, Lord, your blood is still just as good and mighty to save. And Lord, it is, your, it is you, it is your blood, it is your gospel, not just that, that saved us, but is, is our hope from now into all eternity. So Father, I don't know how you would stir us, how you would move us, but Father, would you make us a church family? That through highs and lows will be a church family to speak your gospel boldly, that your gospel would progress forward in us and through us. God, you would add to our number. Not because it's about numbers, but because we desperately want to see men and women, boys and girls come to faith in you. The Holy Spirit, however we need to respond now, may we do so.